Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. Tonight, we are talking about one of our favorite subjects, anxiety. Um, And that's why I wanted to intro with this song by 21 Pilots. Who can relate to it? He says, I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink. But now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. I think that's such an anthem for this generation, for the people in this room. I am speaking to y'all tonight um, kind of from three perspectives. One, I am currently studying mental health counseling, so we talk about I'm steeped in mental health issues all the time. Um, I myself have struggled with depression and anxiety. This week we're talking about anxiety and next week we'll talk about depression. Um, And thirdly, I want to talk to you from a place of what I have seen the Bible to say about anxiety. Um, To speak to you about how Jesus meets us in that Um, The moments that I have felt just that pit of anxiety and fear and stress um, and how God has met me in those moments. Um, First of all, who is anxious and why do we feel that this is such a priority to talk about right now? Um, Right now, 31.9% of teenagers struggle with an anxiety disorder. So that's one in every three adolescents. So in this room, one out of every three of you right now is struggling with anxiety. But the thing is, I don't need statistics to tell me that. I talk to a lot of you, our leaders talk to you, our staff talk to you, and this is a very common theme that comes up. I'm stressed about work, I'm stressed about school, I'm stressed about getting into the college of my choice, I'm stressed because my parents are on me every single day. I'm stressed because this boy doesn't like me. I'm stressed because my friends are gossiping about me. I'm stressed because I'm too fat. I'm stressed because I'm too skinny. I'm stressed for a multitude of reasons. It's weighing you down. The rate of teenagers being hospitalized for being suicidal has doubled in the past decade. Doubled. And that's not okay That's not what Jesus wants for any of you. He doesn't. The definition of anxiety is apprehensive, uneasiness, or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. A strong desire sometimes mixed with doubt or fear. So it's just this living on the edge all the time about what the future holds. Always living in a state of fear of what's to come. But why are we so anxious now? Why has this continued to increase? Um, The stress of school for each of you has increased. 
The pressure to make good grades is higher than ever before. The competition to get into certain schools is greater than it has been in the past. Technology has amped that up a lot. Your parents and the way that they put pressure on you has amped that up. Um, there are more school shootings than ever before. Um, there have been 177 high school shootings since 2010 and 356 victims of those shootings. And we also live in an age of terrorism. So most of you, if not all, who are students in this room were born after 9-11. So you have lived in this culture in which terrorist attacks are very common. So we literally live in an age of anxiety. And finally, of course, we have to consider social media and smartphones. Um, that has played a huge part in this increase of anxiety. The average teenager spends seven hours and 22 minutes on their smartphone a day. That is almost an entire working day. An entire working day or an entire night of sleep spent on your smartphone. But here's the thing, y'all, and I'm the first to admit it. I looked at my screen and my average is somewhere between four and five hours a day. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, but the thing is that our desire to connect is actually isolating us from one another. And the more that we desire to connect with one another, the more time we spend on Snapchat, on TikTok, on Instagram, just desiring and longing for another like, for another snap from some boy, some, from some girl. We are longing to be approved of through a smartphone. Guys, that's not going to do it. <laughs> it's not going to give you the approval and the connection that you're longing for. It's just not. Um, it made me think of a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Edmund, he meets the White Witch, and um, the White Witch gives him Turkish delight. And there's a quote that says, he had eaten his share of the dinner, but he hadn't really enjoyed it because he was thinking all the time about Turkish delight. And there's nothing that spoils the taste of good ordinary food half so much as the memory of bad magic food. That really makes me think of when y'all are together. We were on Lifestyle last weekend, which was an amazing weekend. And I think part of why we love Lifestyle is though you still have your phones, you are a bit more disconnected from them. So you can actually engage with one another in a more present and real way. So this quote makes me think of how you sit here and you have community and yet you're still longing for something that is a fake and a false connection. You're on Instagram while you're talking to your friends. You're on Snapchat while you're trying to connect with your leader. Someone who wants to see you as you are and love you and yet you're longing for a like? It's not going to do it. It's like Turkish delight. You're going to keep eating it, and you're going to keep wanting that like, and it is never going to satisfy you. Only, the only thing it's going to do is going to make you want more. And again, I'm right there with you, so I'm preaching to myself as much as I am saying this to y'all. Okay, so it's like, what, where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus in this age of anxiety? Where does he fit into this narrative? Um, he's here. 
I promise he's here and he sees it. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible. Their anxiety looked different. The things that caused them fear and stress were very different than the things that caused you fear and stress. But they were very much present because Jesus, he came to save humans. And as long as we are humans, we are going to deal and struggle with anxiety and the desire to be liked and approved of. Um, I'm going to read a passage from Matthew. And you're all probably very familiar with it if you've grown up in the church. But I want you to really listen to it with new ears. I want you to listen to it from this angle of anxiety. And don't, don't shut it out right away. It's Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So this scene, it occurs right after Jesus has performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So the disciples, they're on a spiritual high. Have you ever been on a spiritual high? How do you feel after you come back, after rush, or after you come back from lifestyle, or aloha, or a mission trip? You're psyched. You're like, God is real. God is good. I'm so excited to, to follow him, to trust him, to see what he has for my life. And immediately after this scene, Jesus says, okay, y'all go on ahead on the boat, um, and I'll meet y'all later. So they're obeying God's, Jesus' command right? They're acting in obedience to Jesus. And when they do that, this storm arises. And I think that tells us that even when we follow Jesus, I think sometimes we think if we follow Jesus, we're not going to struggle with anxiety and we're not going to have fears. But it's like actually quite the opposite. When we follow Jesus, we tend to encounter even more suffering. We encounter stress, and that does not mean that Jesus is gone from the picture. No, that's when he enters in. That's when he comes to reveal himself in a new and a powerful and a mighty way. Um, It is in the storm that Jesus can show them who truly has the power. God does not leave us alone in our storms. He meets us in them. It's also interesting because it says in the passage that it's in the fourth night that Jesus comes out. So this is like 3 a.m. 
Who has been awake at 3 a.m. struggling with anxiety and they can't sleep and they're overwhelmed with their thoughts and their fears and they're in, like, where is God? He is absent. And that's when Jesus comes to meet them. It's in the fourth night. And you might be saying, but Kate, it really doesn't feel like God is with me in those moments. This is where the story takes a turn. Peter is so captured by Jesus that he wants to run out to the sea to meet him. He has no fear. He forgets that he's never walked on water. He literally is like, okay, Jesus, I'm here. I'm all, I trust you. And he steps out onto the waters to be with him. But as Peter falls into the sea, it reveals his weakness and his vulnerability apart from Christ. And I think that Jesus does this intentionally. Because note that Peter, he didn't begin to sink when he became afraid. He looked at the winds and then he became afraid. So he took his eyes off of Jesus. And when he saw all the storm and the winds and the waves that were surrounding him, he forgot Jesus was with him. And he began to sink and drown. But he shows that he has faith by crying out to Jesus, saying, save me. I'm drowning. Save me, Jesus. So he still has faith because Jesus is still there. And when he reaches out his hand, Jesus picks him up. Henry Nowen is um, a priest, and he's written several books about spirituality. He says um, in one of his books this quote that I think speaks directly to what we're talking about. When we start being too impressed by the results of our work, we slowly come to the erroneous conviction that life is one large scoreboard where someone is listing the points to measure our worth. And before we are fully aware of it, we have sold our soul to the many grade givers. That means we are not only in the world, but also of the world. Then we become what the world makes us. We are intelligent because someone gives us a high grade. We are helpful because someone says thanks. We are likable because someone likes us. And we are important because someone considers us indispensable. In short, we are worthwhile because we have successes. And the more we allow our accomplishments, the results of our actions, to become the criteria of our self-esteem, the more we are going to walk on our mental and spiritual toes, never sure if we, are going to, if we will be able to live up to the expectations which we created by our last successes. In many people's lives, there is a nearly diabolic chain in which their anxieties grow according to their successes. This dark power has driven many of the greatest artists into self-destruction. When we are chasing out of our, our, chasing our successes in school, in our talents, in our friendships, in our likes, to give us the self-esteem that we need, it is only going to make us more anxious. The only place that we can get our self-esteem from fully and truly is Jesus. I'm going to quickly tell this story um, because we're getting close to time. But when I was y'all's age, when I was a junior in high school, um, I began to 
really control my eating. And I started to lose weight. And it was great for about a year. And got a lot of compliments on the way that I looked. Even my parents complimented me. Um, I felt good. And I felt very in control. And in the back of my mind, I thought, this probably isn't healthy long term, but I'll just, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> I'll figure out how to sustain this later. Um, and I felt, I felt like I had power over my looks. I felt like I had power over something in my life that made me feel worthy and successful. And when I got into my senior year, after this had built up over time, and I was really malnourished, and I began to realize, okay, I, I can't be as skinny as everyone I want to be as skinny as. I can't, my body is just not created to be a size zero. And as much as I try to, I'm either going to die or I'm not going to be as skinny as I want to be. What do I want? And it landed me in doctor's offices. Um, I didn't get to hang out with my friends as much as I would like to my senior year of high school. I had to tell my teachers because I was missing so much school to go to nutritionist and a counselor. And it just, it, the thing that I thought was bringing me value actually was destroying my life. So the things that we're trying to have control over in order to bring us value, the more that we try to control them, they actually begin to control us. Unless we give that power and that control to Jesus. So what are you giving your power to? Is it grades? Is that giving you worth? Your looks, relationships, college, sports, what makes you feel worthy? What we need when these things begin to fail us is something that is more than another good grade, is more than the approval of those around us. What we need is the non-anxious presence that is Jesus. We need Jesus to walk on water to us and say, I am here, I am with you in the midst of the storm. And I will uphold you. You cannot uphold yourself. You can't do it. But I will, so keep your eyes on me. I think sometimes we are so afraid to be weak. <laughs> and yet it is when Peter is weak is when he is saved. When he cries out to God, save me. And there are plenty of examples of this throughout scripture. Um, we're going to be going through a series on the Psalms um, in a few weeks. We're going to start that. And there are so many examples of people in the Bible who are crying out to God, save me. Just one says, Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. But I don't want to end tonight without talking about just some of the practical things that you can do. Because I do think, I do think that Jesus is the only thing that's ultimately going to bring us healing. But I also recognize that anxiety and depression are real things that harm our minds. 
and our bodies, and that sometimes the lies that we are believing are so deeply ingrained in us, the anxieties are so fierce that we need professional help to get out of those places, to get out of those dark pits. And that's good. You know, I see a therapist on a regular basis. I have for many years. And I think it is so helpful to have someone to help us get outside of our, the wrong things that we're thinking about ourselves, the lies that we are believing, and to change those thought patterns. So tonight, if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, and next week we'll go into a deeper dive on depression, please talk to your discipleship group leader. They are are there for you. They are there to listen. Tell your parents. Ask an adult to get you help. It is not weak. It does not show that you don't have faith strong enough. I am sitting here telling you, as someone who is on staff, I see a therapist because I need help. Um, and then, of course, spend time with Jesus because he is the only truly non-anxious presence in your life. When you're in that dark place, continue to pray. Continue to seek God's faith. That shows the most faith when you are in that dark pit that you are willing and courageous enough to reach up for help. And the last thing I want to say is, some of you may be thinking, but I feel like this is always going to, I'm always going to struggle with this. Because of Jesus, it's not, it will not always be like this. It might be this side of heaven. You might struggle with some type of anxiety, depression, or another mental illness as long as you're this side of heaven. But this is the truth, is that Jesus conquered death on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and he is making us new heavens and a new earth that we are going to enter into, and our minds will be healed. He says in Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new, Write these words down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about you, and he sees you. No matter how alone or dark you feel, God sees you, and he wants you to call out to him. I'm going to pray, and then Tegan is going to come up. Um... God, I just thank you so much for each and every person in this room. Um, I just ask that if there is someone in this room who is really struggling tonight, that you would just give them courage and boldness to reach out for help, to reach out to a D group leader, to reach out to a parent, um, and most importantly, Lord, to reach out to you, God. I just pray that um, you would help them not to be so afraid of weakness and failure, but to realize, Lord, that it is in your weakness and your failure, Lord, that you are able to show up and be glorified and to show your loving presence. Help them not be afraid of that. God, I just pray that your peace would just overflow this room, that you would be the non-anxious presence that we need, that we would trust that, that we would believe that.
We thank you for you who you are. We thank you for the promises that are in your word, and I pray that we would hold on to them this week. We love you and ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.